That's it. Like, his career is over. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 437. Welcome in. I uh, hope you had a great weekend. I discovered a new show, and it's not new. My dad's been telling me to watch it for years and years, but I finally started. I watched two episodes this weekend called Justified. I got Timothy Oliphant, got Walton Goggins. Uh, he's also on a TV show called The Unicorn. Dude, Justified. If you're a person who can handle some like heavy stuff and likes crime, and I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Just, if you're interested, I don't know. Look up Justified, and if the, the idea, the premise interests you, you might really like it. Because I, for years, put it off. I wasn't interested. For some reason, it really kind of struck a chord with me this weekend, and I uh, watched two episodes, loved it. Oh, my goodness. Really, really enjoyed it. Let's jump in. Um, I got some really, like, today's episode's really fun. We're going to talk about the Bengals. We're going to talk about the Noteworthy Eight. Uh, the Rose Bowl was amazing. I want to start with this, though. On Sunday, the Bengals beat Kansas City 34-31. to And oh my goodness, I am so happy for the Bengals, their fans, the city of Cincinnati. I've said for a long time, if I ever, I think, lived permanently, because I live in Hawaii, right? I'm not really, the lower 48 are, are kind of I'm weird and removed from them. But if I ever did live permanently somewhere in the lower 48, it would either be in the Olympic Peninsula somewhere in Washington or the city of Cincinnati. I really, really love Cincinnati. And this was a massive win. They're now 10-6. and six. They have clinched the AFC North division title. And the best thing about it is that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase were the two stars of this game and of this moment for Cincinnati. And I'm not going to lie, man. I... You know, I believed in Joe Burrow and I believed in Jamar Chase individually as players. I knew they were going to be great NFL players, but I did not believe that they were going to be able to win in Cincinnati. And I I've just the whole, you know, the entire journey to get to this moment where the Bengals have won the AFC North, I, I really wasn't a believer. I remember saying that Joe Burrow should avoid going to Cincinnati because I didn't think he could overcome what I believed was a dysfunctional organization. I didn't think Joe Burrow could turn them around. I remember be- feeling like, you know, Joe Burrow is an amazing quarterback. I-, I still, to this day, like, I remember people talking about Trevor Lawrence, how Trevor Lawrence is a generational quarterback and the best quarterback we've seen since Andrew Luck. And I, <laughs> I don't think Trevor Lawrence is better than Joe Burrow was coming out of college. Did anyone, did people somehow forget what Joe Burrow did against the SEC level defenses? It was unbelievable. But I thought that, you know, he was drafted by an organization that was going to pull him down. And it's been exactly the opposite. Joe Burrow has elevated his organization. And Justin Herbert, who was drafted number six overall in the same draft class, gets a ton of love. Justin Herbert this, Justin Herbert that, and film people love him. And look, Justin Herbert is amazing. But let's acknowledge something. Justin Herbert went to a better football team and had a lot of help along the way. Didn't have to build something. He kind of walked into a great organization, you know, great situation roster-wise. Got a great offensive line. Herbert's got a better offensive line. (laughs) Two amazing receivers. I think a good head coach. Joe Burrow had to build it. Like, Joe Burrow went to the worst team in the NFL that had the number one overall pick. And he gets hit a ton. Like, go watch Joe Burrow play football. The dude is running for his life at times. And yet, he still has found a way to win. He made the playoffs, won a division title. It's amazing 
<laughs> they won the AFC North in his second year in the NFL. It's so cool to me. And I also remember when Cincinnati drafted Jamar Chase at receiver, number five overall earlier in 2021. And I didn't like the pick. I, I knew Jamar Chase would be a star. I, I remember in my video, whenever I talked about him getting drafted, I'm like, look, he's going to score a lot of touchdowns. He's going to be fun to watch. I knew that. But the thing I did not believe was that he was going to help them win more football games. I thought that Jamar Chase was going to be fun and flashy, but they really needed an offensive lineman. And I would still argue, yeah, they do need to still build their offensive line. <laughs> well, uh, let, let's be clear about one thing, though. Jamar Chase has absolutely helped the Bengals win football games, especially Sunday against Kansas City in Cincinnati. <laughs> I remember there was a moment in this game where the the Bengals were down and losing and Casey was kind of getting away with the game and Jamar Chase makes this crazy play. It was like a 72-yard touchdown. He makes a he catches like a 5-yard slant or hits or something. Makes people miss, runs for a long touchdown, a bunch of yards after the catch and it really sparked Cincinnati. And in this game he had 11 catches for 266 yards and 3 touchdowns. And all year Jamar Chase has elevated his team and made a difference and helped his football team win games. Let's be clear. He was the right pick. I was wrong. I am so glad I was wrong. I remember being like, they should have got Panay Sewell. Idiots. Why would they draft a receiver? Receivers don't help you win games. <laughs> I've been proven wrong so many times. And I love it, man. And I got to acknowledge it. And I, I truly, I enjoy being wrong because the Bengals are so much fun to watch. And there's some YouTube commenter out there. I forget his name. I don't really care. He was like, I can't wait to watch Zach Schaumler be disappointed when Kansas City beats the Bengals. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it was an awesome moment. Cincinnati won. And I, I really love what Joe Burrow has done elevating the Bengals. And beating Kansas City was the culmination of so many good moves made by Cincinnati. It's not just Jamar Chase. It's not just drafting Joe Burrow. It's bringing in Larry Ogunjobi from Cleveland, Trey Hendrickson from New Orleans, B.J. Hill from the Giants. Casey put up 28 points in the first half of this football game and only three points in the second half. That defense stepped up. There were great coverage in the second half, getting pressure with their front four, a lot of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And, and then look, man, <laughs> Joey B made throw after throw after throw. He was dealing. That dude looks like a Hall of Fame quarterback already. And I, it's kind of funny, actually. You know, the Ravens defensive coordinator, like, last week said, well, let's not put him in the Hall of Fame just yet. And, yeah, it's a year two. That's a bit ridiculous. Who knows how his career is going to play out. But, I, man, like, I am telling you, I am not overhyping Joe Burrow. In fact, if anything, I am somehow underselling Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was 30 for 39 passing against a really good Kansas City de defense. It's made, I mean, Casey's defense has really come alive in the second half of the year. And Joe Burrow shredded them. 446 yards, four touchdowns, zero turnovers. And the guy got hit a ton. He's the most sacked quarterback in the entire NFL. The offensive line, they still need work. I mean, <laughs> Joe got his nameplate ripped off of the back of his jersey. He was getting hit so much. He, he probably ripped it off. It's, it's like, I'm sure he ripped the rest of it off himself. But I remember watching it slowly peel off his jersey going like, that thing's like barely hanging on. And in spite of the fact that the offensive line is struggling, in spite of the fact that he's having to really, I mean, how many times have you watched, if you watch Joe Burrow at all, he's avoiding sacks, he's making people miss, he's turning 
what should be losses into big throws downfield or running for yardage. And in spite of all the pressure in his face, he's won 10 games this year. He's thrown for 4,611 yards. And remember, Joe Burrow's coming off of a knee injury, like a catastrophic knee injury last year. And he's not the kind of athlete that Justin Herbert or Russ Wilson or Kyler Murray is. He's, he's a pocket passer who can, he's got some ability, but he's not a running quarterback like at all. And yet he's handling pressure in his face constantly. And I just don't know that a lot of quarterbacks could do what Joe Burrow has done. Tom Brady. I love Tom Brady. Tom Brady's Achilles heel is if you get pressure with a four-man rush, it's over. Joe Burrow is getting constant pressure that way. And still, despite the matchups being wrong and the numbers, and he should be not able to succeed, he still is. It's unbelievable. And Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow look exactly like they did in college at LSU. Back shoulder fades, pinpoint accuracy, just play after play after play, beating man coverage. Like, hey, I'm sorry. Joe Burrow was looking more and more like an Aaron Rodgers type of quarterback where you just cannot play man coverage against Joe Burrow because <laughs> he doesn't really care. If you can be in position, he's like, you can't beat a perfect throw. And I, I will throw a perfect throw. He had a back shoulder fade to, I, I believe it was Jamar Chase, but it could have been T. Higgins. I feel like he's just hitting throw after throw down the sideline all over the field. And, I mean, he had deep ball to T. Higgins. He had a touchdown to Tyler Boyd. It was so awesome to watch what Cincinnati and Joe Burrow did on Sunday. And I will say Casey was down two left tackles. They did not have Orlando Brown in this game, and then they lost Lucas Niang, there, who was their starting left tackle for this game. I thought that, that that caught up to them in the second half, and they gave up a lot of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. But the the overarching story here is that it was a really, really cool moment for Cincinnati and uh, a massive win, well-deserved, and the Bengals are the AFC North division champions. And, man, like two years ago, they had the number one overall pick, and now look where they are today. I did not see it coming. I... I mean, <laughs> I'm overjoyed. I've never been so happy to be wrong in my entire life. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm pretty convinced that at this point, Joe Burrow can do anything he wants to. I, I'm, I'm enamored. I love the kid. He's amazing. I like his swagger. I like how, I think that confidence really helps him too. Like the team buys in and, um, you know, Joe Burrow, I think it's criticized. I think maybe not yet. So Aaron Rodgers gets criticized for being, you know, there's that fine line between confidence and cocky and Aaron really walks it very finely. But let's be honest. If you're going to turn around a terrible organization like Cincinnati, which they were when they drafted him, let's be clear. You kind of have to be a little bit arrogant. You kind of, because <laughs> where does confidence stop and arrogance begin? You really have to believe in yourself to say, I can walk into Cincinnati with the number one overall pick and in year two, win the division, turn that football team around. Win 10 games. So, I I really love the swagger, the confidence, and the poise Joe Burrow shows. And it's amazing, man. It really, what they've done in Cincinnati, what he's done in Cincinnati, turning that organization around. And he's had help, and they've made some really good moves as well. But um, I'm just in awe and blown away and very, very excited for the Bengals. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, it's awesome. It's a blast. And uh, I'm really, really glad they got the AFC North division title. Well done, Cincinnati. All right, uh, let's talk about Tampa. Tampa just beat the Jets 
28 to 24. There's a lot to unpack here. A couple things. Number one, uh, it's very weird. The Jets ran a quarterback sneak on fourth and two with two minutes left on like the six yard line. Instead of kicking a short field goal, it would have given them it w- would have given them a seven point lead. And I mean, look, I don't mind going for it on fourth and two on the six yard line because if you don't get it, then Tom Brady's got to drive 94 yards and put together a touchdown drive. Like that's fine. But the quarterback sneak was weird. I, like, <laughs> you run a quarterback sneak on fourth and inches, not fourth and two. And it, something was either disorganized or miscommunication. I have no idea what was going on for the Jets, especially when you realize, hey, the literal biggest strength of the Buccaneers' entire football team, arguably, is their interior defensive line. Like <laughs> Fourth and two, you're not going to get two yards on a quarterback sneak against Vita Vea. I, I'm sorry, but what are you doing? That was a terrible call. It was very confusing. Now, on top of that, Tom Brady did drive 94 yards and put together a game-winning touchdown drive. He threw a touchdown pass with 15 seconds left. Then they went for two, took a 28-24 lead. And uh, I just got to say, I feel bad for Jets fans. Not only did your team make some weird decisions down the stretch, but also, (laughs) I am sure you guys hate Tom Brady. Like, And I don't even blame you. I love Tom Brady. I'm a fan of him. But if you're a Jets fan... Go ahead and hate the guy, because for years, Tom Brady has terrorized your organization, and I bet you were glad. Like, he finally leaves the AFC East. He's not the Patriots quarterback anymore, and you're like, ah, finally, we're free of dealing with Tom Brady ever again, and then, ah, you got to play him again this year. I'm I'm just sorry for you guys, man. Like, the Jets actually led the game 24 to 10 in the third quarter. Like, in the second half, like, (laughs) they had a lead, and uh, Tom Brady strikes again, steals the lead. Wins the game, and uh, poor Jets fans. Now, let's get into the like the main event, shall you say, from this Jets-Buccaneers game. The main story. In the middle of the game, Tampa Bay receiver Antonio Brown literally just quit and left. He took off his pads. He was yelling at people, threw his shirt into the stands, was yelling at fans. And he just, with two minutes left in the third quarter, walked off the field and quit the team. And why? Why did this happen? Well, it's, it's complicated because the honest answer, I think, is that, I mean, I, I believe he has mental health problems. And to me, that's not a guy that's entirely right in the head. And I mean that very respectfully. He was triggered because his coach, Bruce Arians, told him to go back into the game, which that's very mild and normal. Like in, in football, if your coach wants you to play, you, you go in the game, you don't really respond by quitting. It's, it's an abnormal reaction to a very normal thing in football. And that's what tells me that Antonio Brown has mental health problems. It's really, frankly, sad. He's unhinged. Uh, he had a massive overreaction to a very normal thing in football. And I mean, yeah, maybe Bruce Arians said it in a way he didn't like. He, he, Bruce Arians can be blunt and can be rude, but like, in football, people aren't always, like, jolly and happy all the time. And you have to be able to handle, like, normal human interaction that isn't always the most positive thing in the world. And to me, the massive overreaction from Antonio Brown was the sign of someone who was not acting like someone who was thinking clearly. And that makes me sad because, honestly, look, Antonio Brown has been, for lack of a better term, right? I don't mean an offense, but he's been crazy or a lunatic or unhinged, whatever you want to call it, this whole time. It's not like Antonio Brown ever became a different person, right? We, we've seen the stories for years. It's been a, a weird roller coaster of events in Tampa. And 
the fact to me, what's crazy is that Tom Brady was able to manage that relationship as long as he did. It's really a testament to Tom Brady, which just says that Tom Brady made it work with Antonio Brown when literally nobody else could. And I don't know that Antonio Brown realizes this, but <laughs> whether he knows or not, Antonio Brown just retired. By walking off the field in the middle of the third quarter, that's it. Like, his career is over. No one else is going to give him a shot. This was his last opportunity. The Buccaneers, frankly, gave Antonio Brown an opportunity when nobody else was willing to because of the Tom Brady connection, because Tom Brady had worked with him before and vouched for him and said, I'll manage him and manage that relationship. And to me, if anything, the Antonio Brown saga really does show a lot about Tom Brady and that he will do literally anything to win. He doesn't care. Like, he's like, can you play football? If you can play, I'll work with you and I'll find a way to make it work. Like, I, uh, I can't even imagine what it was like to manage that relationship on a day-to-day basis. Like, what were practices like? How much was there walking on eggshells and being careful? And, you know, because if something like that triggers a reaction from Antonio Brown where he's quitting football, you know, go in the game. No, ah, you know, argue and, you know. What was it really like? Because I'm sure we'll never know. But Antonio Brown seems incapable of handling a normal human interaction where he like I would imagine look Tom Brady's probably kissing his butt left and right saying whatever he needs to say giving telling him sweet nothings to make Antonio Brown stick around and woo him into working with Tampa Bay Tom just nurtured the guy gave him love and they won a Super Bowl together like that was rewarded and I think Tom was able to overlook his off the field stuff because he's like the guy can play football and if it helps me win football games that's literally all I care about but I want to point out nobody I think could have or would have worked with Antonio Brown as long as Tom Brady was able to make it work and and make that happen. And I really agreed with what Tom Brady said after the game, which was that Brady said he needs help. You know, we all love him. We care about him deeply. We want to see AB at his best. But unfortunately, that will not be with our team. And right after the game, Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians confirmed that Antonio Brown is no longer a part of the team. And... (sighs) You know, Antonio Brown's career is over. And I honestly thought it was over. You know, there have been multiple times in the last year or two where I've thought, is this it for Antonio Brown? Like, is this the moment where it's all over? And this turns out to be the last straw. You know, Tampa was the only team willing to put up with what he brought to the table off the field. I think this was his last shot. And look, his meltdown is a bit funny. Like, let's acknowledge, right? It's a crazy moment. We've never seen anything like that, really. It's a meme. It's a, it's a really entertaining TikTok. But I encourage people to try not to laugh if you can. I, I, don't, I don't begrudge anyone if your initial reaction, because my initial reaction was like, oh, my gosh, like, what? Like, <laughs> what? Kind of that incredulous. It, it was. It was entertaining. It's, it felt like a moment from, like, wrestling or something. You're like, what's, what's happening here? This is very strange. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to come down and, like, judge anybody who had that reaction because that's the reaction I had but there's a deeper deeper level when you think about it you know a little bit longer and and the reality is that Antonio Brown seems to be a person in crisis who needs help and initial reaction is like oh my gosh that's crazy and then you think about it on a deeper human level like forget about football and when you do that I'm really worried about Antonio Brown's future because you know, he doesn't have football anymore. And he's already a guy who seems a little bit unhinged. And um, 
now not having football, I just, I really, my attention will shift towards, I hope that Antonio Brown gets the help that he needs. And I, I hope that people don't dehumanize him because it really does seem like a guy who is having a mental breakdown and, and, and maybe has been having one for like two to three years, if not longer. And Man, it's a, it's a dark place. It's a dark world. Football has been a source of income. The thing he does, if he doesn't have that, what does he have? And I really worry about that. And, and I hope other people can see through the meme and look at the person and, and also feel concerned because I I, I just can't stand up. I, I really – I'm worried about his future, and I hope that Antonio Brown gets the help that he needs in the future. All right. Uh, I need more water real quick before we jump into the noteworthy segment. Well, we just had NFL Week 17. I already talked about the Bengals beating Kansas City. I talked about Tampa against the Jets, the Antonio Brown saga. But there are still eight more things I find noteworthy from NFL Week 17. The noteworthy eight. Number one is this. The 49ers beat the Houston Texans 23-7. to on Sunday. And I walked away from this game feeling hopeful. Hopeful for the 49ers and also hopeful for Houston. I, I walked away going like, man, like, you know, Houston didn't win the game, but I feel good about them and I feel good about the 49ers. And the 49ers rookie quarterback, Trey Lance, played very well. I just was like, wow. I was going into the game. To be clear, my expectation was that Davis Mills, the Texans rookie quarterback, would outshine Trey Lance and everybody was going to have a massive overreaction and come down really hard on Trey Lance. That is not what happened. Trey Lance looked good. He extended plays. He made some good throws. He looked immensely talented. He's got a massive arm that, man, I'm telling you what, I really buy into the future of Trey Lance with Kyle Shanahan. I'm like, oh, this is going to be when he has time to develop and he, he is getting time right now because he's still growing. But, man, Trey Lance is getting better, and the dude is so, so talented. He's gotten some time. I think he needs a little bit more time, but the future is bright. And the 49ers are 9-7. and seven. It's been a—got a little floaty in front of me. It's been a solid year. Um, but if Trey Lance keeps getting better, they're going to be scary. And you, you had rookie six-round pick Elijah Mitchell in this game against Houston, had 21 carries for 119 yards— that's a piece I'm excited for next year. So next year, you got Elijah Mitchell, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Trey Lance at quarterback. I, I think the 49ers could be even better next year because there's been a couple times this year where Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback has limited and held back the 49ers offense. And he needs more time to grow, but I'm very excited about Trey Lance. And this was a good omen. To me, I'm like, I just walk away from this game going like, oh, thank God. Trey Lance not only, I think, has a bright future. I felt that way going in, but I was afraid the fan base was going to give up on him if he had a bad game, and he had a good game. And uh, I, I hope everyone else agrees with me and is excited about the potential of Trey Lance in San Francisco because Josh Allen had a rough rookie year, too. Like These guys who are really talented but not quite polished, you just got to take a step back, relax, let it work out because look at Josh Allen now compared to year one. Like He's a way better quarterback, and you get – a really talented quarterback who's hungry and working hard, some good coaching, which he has in San Francisco, sky's the limit. And Trey Lance can do stuff that Jimmy Garoppolo simply is not capable of. And it's going to already look like it's, it's already looking like it's paying off. And I'm excited about that. Then you got Houston, by the way, Houston is four and 12. And normally 
you don't feel encouraged after a 4 and 12 season. But I legit thought that Houston was going to only win one game this year. I thought they were going to be the worst team by far in the NFL. They've not been. And to me, that's an accomplishment. And I like their rookie quarterback, Davis Mills. I like their head coach, David Coley. I was not interested in David Coley. Davis Mills was a third-round pick. Houston exceeded all of my expectations this year. And Davis Mills is their franchise quarterback. You're going to trade Deshaun Watson away, hopefully get a bunch of high-level draft picks for him and build around your young quarterback, Davis Mills. To me, actually, the future is bright in Houston. And you got kind of a, a diamond in the rough in David Culley, head coach. He was an unknown guy who got a, an opportunity. He's done a very good job with that head coaching position. And you got a third-round franchise quarterback in Davis Mills, and you're going to trade away Deshaun, get a bunch of picks. Like I, I am very excited about the Houston Texans moving forward, and I, the future is bright for the 49ers and for the Houston Texans. Now, noteworthy number two, the Titans beat Miami 34-3. to Tennessee is now 11-5. and They are now the number one seed in the AFC. Good for them. That's awesome. Deontay Foreman, their running back, had 26 carries for 132 yards and a touchdown. Ryan Tannehill, Houston, uh, Tennessee's quarterback, playing against his former team, Miami. He was 13 for 18. Not a massive amount of throwing, but he, was, he had 120 yards, two touchdowns, was very efficient, played a clean, good game. And so on Tennessee's side, it's all good. They're the number one seed. Remember when Derrick Henry got hurt and everyone bailed on them? And I was like, look, it's not looking good. But I remember I was very careful to say when Derrick Henry got hurt, let's not count them out yet. Everyone rushed to write off Tennessee. I did not. And that really has paid off for me. And I'm, I'm glad because I think Tennessee clearly with the number one seed is a good football team. And their year didn't end the minute Derrick Henry got hurt. Now, here's the main story from this game. Number one, it's that Miami was eliminated from the playoffs. Miami is 8-8. Eight and eight. They will not go into the NFL playoffs at all. Number two, their young quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, was not good. He needed to be impressive, and he was actually instead unconvincing is the word uh, that comes to mind because he was 18 for 38 passing, 205 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, one fumble. So Tua had a 47% completion percentage and two turnovers. And I think Miami, to be clear, Miami needs another receiving weapon. They need to build their offensive line. But I do believe that Miami's going to trade for Deshaun Watson if they get the opportunity. And frankly, I believe Miami's front office is looking for reasons to replace Tua. And they're going to use this game against Tennessee, uh, a game with the playoffs on the line against a good football team. I think Miami's going to use this game from Tua as a justification for getting rid of him. Because when you are in a situation where someone doesn't want you and they're looking for reasons to replace you, you got to be like perfect. And Tua had a chance to prove himself, and he did not. In fact, again, I think he gave the organization a reason to go, eh, next. Now, personally, I would love to see Tua in New Orleans with the Saints. Uh, it's a perfect fit. They get a cheap quarterback in New Orleans. He's got a similar skill set to Drew Brees. Drew Brees and Sean Payton worked together for years in New Orleans, and Sean Payton is a coach who literally helped save Drew Brees' career after the team that drafted him did not want him. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like Tua. Also, weird, like just coincidental connection is that Drew Brees chose New Orleans over Miami. So maybe another guy, you know, is better off in New Orleans instead of Miami. Maybe that could be Tua. I don't know. It also seems like New Orleans could be happy with Jameis Winston, who 
won some games. It could be another cheap option at quarterback. But I'm throwing that out there because I want to see Tua do well. And I think Tua could do well in New Orleans. And and honestly, no offense to Tua, because he's got a limited skill set and he needs help. He needs good people around him, good coaching. He's not a guy like Justin Herbert who can run around and make people miss. And he's not, you know, he needs to have good people around him, needs help. I think New Orleans is one of the only places where Tua could go and be really, really good. Maybe there, Dallas doesn't need a quarterback. Like, the teams that need a quarterback aren't very good. And I I really think that Tua, other than New Orleans, he doesn't have a lot of good opportunities and good options. Maybe he goes to Tampa and eventually replaces Tom Brady. That's a a thought, too. But it's slim pickings for Tua if you want to see Tua on the field. And uh, I'm really, really interested and concerned about his future with the Miami Dolphins. Okay, number three, Arizona beat Dallas 25-22. to uh, Honestly, I was not that impressed with either team. Arizona won. Both Arizona and Dallas were sloppy. It was an ugly game, ton of penalties. Arizona made critical mistakes in key moments. Dallas never led the game, not even once the entire game. I mean, Dak Prescott had a chance. They were down 22-14 to with 10 minutes left, and he fumbled in the fourth quarter. Neither Dallas or Arizona looked like a team that's capable of winning a Super Bowl. It looked like two teams that are kind of lucky to have really good records that you know are really not all that detail-oriented. And by the way, Dallas, it's, it's kind of crazy. Dallas has not beat a good team like all year. They beat two of them. Dallas beat the Chargers and the Patriots. And literally, that's it. Here are the rest of... The Cowboys wins this year. Other than L.A., the the Chargers, and the Patriots, they beat (gasps) the Eagles. Hey, the Eagles are a playoff team. That's good for them. But then they beat the Panthers, the Giants twice, Minnesota, Atlanta, New Orleans, Washington twice. You know, they've got nine wins against basically bad football teams and and the Eagles, whatever they are. They're They're like a playoff team, but they're not, you know, they're not a Super Bowl contender. And... I totally, like, I would even, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I'm pretty confident Cowboys fans would even agree. It's not that impressive of a resume. And I, at this point, I think Dallas is going to, they made the playoffs, good for them, but they're going to probably go one and done, lose in the wild card round, and year over, a short exit, because <laughs> I just don't trust Dak Prescott. I don't really trust anybody on that, that football team. And, like, Trevon Diggs, their best corner. Ooh, he's a great, he gives up massive plays. You know how many times he got beat by A.J. Green on Sunday? Like, so I think there's a lot of fool's gold going on in Dallas. By the way, Arizona ran a fake punt pass where I want to give a shout out to Jonathan Ward for Arizona. He made this crazy catch. It actually got called for pass interference, but declined because he actually caught the ball. He caught the ball, David Tyree style, on the back of a defender. And I would say that Jonathan Ward arguably had the catch of the year in the NFL. But here's my complaint. Uh, and I I try not to complain about Joe Buck because Joe Buck, it's a hard job to broadcast live on national TV. I get it. But the broadcaster on Sunday for the Cowboys-Cardinals game, Joe Buck, really did not make that moment, that insane catch, maybe catch of the year. He did not make that into an exciting moment at all. In fact, he didn't seem to care. And, you know, like... For example, Gus Johnson, Gus Johnson would have 
really been like, wow, look at that catch. That's amazing. Like, he would have hyped up that moment, which I think it was deserving of some hype. That was like a really crazy cool play, a great catch. And Jill Buck, maybe he's more of a baseball guy. Like, does he just not love football very much? I don't know. But it was it was a weird moment where Joe Buck was very deadpan, very flat, and maybe he just didn't realize he got caught it. I don't know. But that was a moment that I thought deserved a lot of hype, and we didn't get it, and that was very bizarre. Uh, also, it's noteworthy, the Cowboys receiver Michael Gallup, he tore his ACL. He caught a touchdown pass and simultaneously tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Uh, that's a big loss for the Cowboys. Number four, the Rams beat the Ravens 20-19. to And this was an ugly win for L.A. I told you, I'm not convinced by Arizona or Dallas. I'm not convinced by L.A. either. Matthew Stafford had back-to-back interceptions. Number one was a pick six. Number two was another. You know, both of them were terrible decisions. And it was just not a very convincing win for L.A. I do not trust Matthew Stafford at all in a key moment in a playoff game. And... You know, Baltimore didn't have Lamar Jackson and almost beat L.A., which, look, L.A. is not a terrible football team, but the season's basically over for the Ravens, and next week the Rams have a big game against the 49ers where if the 49ers win, they're a playoff team, and if the Rams lose the game, then they're vulnerable to losing the NFC West division to Arizona, so... L.A., man, I I thought had a bad showing on Sunday, and I'm out. I'm totally out because it's been been weeks now, and the the Rams keep giving me unconvincing win after unconvincing win. And Sure, it's great they're winning, but, you know, they're struggling against bad football teams, and Matthew Stafford especially, man, it's just way too many boneheaded mistakes, and it's going to catch up to them in the playoffs, and they're playing really good. Like, they're not going to beat— the Packers on the road, they're not going to beat Tampa. I just, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not sold right now that the Rams can win a Super Bowl. Now, number five, this will be short because it all ties together. The Chargers beat the Broncos 34-13, to so they won. Uh, really, the only noteworthy thing here is that Justin Herbert broke Phillip Rivers' franchise record for the most touchdown passes in a single year for the Chargers with 35 touchdown passes. So the Chargers won. And then number six, the Raiders beat the Colts 23-20. to So now you got three teams in the AFC that are all 9-7. and seven. The Raiders, the Colts, and L.A. And there are only two spots in the playoffs. So uh, the Chargers play the Raiders next week. Indy plays Jacksonville. So basically it's going to be Indy and then whoever wins the Chargers-Raiders game on Sunday in the AFC playoffs. So that's a massive game next week between the Raiders and LA. By the way, I got to say, Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, is one of, if not the most underrated and underappreciated quarterback of my entire lifetime. The dude is so talented. And the Raiders have been kind of a mess his entire career. They've always been rebuilding. They've always had problems. And Yet still, even despite the crazy year the Raiders have had this year, Derek Carr has his team in a position where they are a win away for making an appearance in the playoffs. And that, to me, is unbelievable. Derek Carr led the go-ahead touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. Then he led the game-winning field goal drive at the end of the fourth quarter. And uh, guys, I am begging you. You got to give Derek Carr respect. I keep seeing people suggest that Derek Carr is going to get traded this offseason. What are you talking about? 
Who in the right mind is trading away Derek Carr? The disrespect level is unbelievable. And uh, I can't, I, I just can't believe it at all. I'm very confused. Are they trading him to Seattle for Russell Wilson? Like, that's the only thing. Like, that would make sense because then both teams get a good quarterback and give a draft pick to Seattle. I mean, maybe that's what happens, but, or maybe Seattle gives a draft pick for Derek Carr. Excuse, or, you know. No, the Raiders give up a draft pick to get Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than Derek Carr, but my goodness. Uh, number seven. Philly beat Washington 22-6. The Eagles clinched a playoff spot. And I just want to say that's very cool. That's all I have to say is that it's cool. Philly made the playoffs. I love Nick Sirianni, the head coach in Philly. I love Jalen Hurts, their quarterback. And I, I was not a believer in Nick Sirianni at all going into the year. And the fact that he's proven me wrong, the fact that he's he's really hard to hate on. Like, he's very easy to root for, Nick Sirianni. And I love Jalen Hurts, so... Uh, go Philly. Good for them. That's really cool to see. Finally, number eight. It's national TV, so I, I probably should talk about it. Uh, on Sunday Night Football, the Packers beat Minnesota 37-10. to 10. I don't know much more to say than that. It's just, you know, Aaron Rodgers was good. The Packers dominated. And Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins did not play. So Minnesota basically had no chance against Green Bay in the cold on Sunday Night Football. All right. Uh, I am going to take a short break. When I... Return. We will talk about the Rose Bowl, and we will talk about the idea of opting out of bowl games in college football. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's now talk about college football for the final two topics of the show. On Saturday, we had the Rose Bowl, which is my personal favorite bowl game in the entire country both because of nostalgia and because it's a really cool setting. It's truly awesome. You got, you know, the mountains are turned pink during the game. The sun sets literally as the game goes on, and you start in the afternoon, you end at night, and it's just this beautiful, cool transformation. And you just don't get that in the Georgia, you know, whatever dome it's called in Georgia or the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. And I love it, man. I've always watched this game ever since I was a kid with my dad and you know, my dad would make Skyline Chili, which is basically spaghetti, chili, and cheese. And I remember watching with my dad, and it was just a glorious, fun time. And no doubt that is part of why I love the Rose Bowl. I also loved it this year because it was an amazing game. And it, I feel like almost every year the Rose Bowl is interesting and fun. It's a game that's on my bucket list. I want to go to one someday. I was also happy to see Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit broadcasting. It was kind of like seeing old friends. They do it every year, and it's kind of a tradition. And, you know... The game was crazy. It was action-packed. It came down to the very final play. At one point, there were five touchdowns in a three-minute span. And it was also Utah's first ever game and first ever time in the Rose Bowl, which added to the fun. Utah led 35-21 to at halftime, and Ohio State had this crazy comeback that won to the last-second field goal. It was awesome. It's everything I love about college football and football in general. Is when I love when I don't know who's going to win. There's good storylines, and the game comes down to the very end. We got everything in the Rose Bowl. It was amazing. It was fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, both quarterbacks were amazing, man. Like, you know, everyone knows the Ohio State freshman quarterback, C.J. Stroud. He was, you know, he's unreal. He was the, you know, he was fourth in Heisman voting. In this game, he was 37 for 46 passing, 573 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. Um I'm going to talk a lot about Utah's quarterback, Cam Rising. And so I want to be clear. It's not because I think Cam Rising's better or more amazing. It's because I'm well aware how great 
C.J. Stroud is. And the dude took care of business, man. He, he brought his team back. They won the game. It was kind of unbelievable. Ohio State put together this last-second drive to win the game, and it was it was so easy for them. It was effortless. I mean, we all—the game felt over as soon as they got the ball because C.J. Stroud was just making throw after throw after throw, and it was—the dude's amazing. He's a future NFL quarterback, and I— because I'm about to talk about Cam Rising a lot, I want it clear I'm not trying to overshadow Cam Rising with C.J. Stroud. It's just that I was more surprised, and I, I have much more to say about Cam Rising because I know already how good C.J. Stroud is, and I've talked about, about him a lot in the past. Now, I, I really want to be clear here. My favorite storyline in this entire game was Utah quarterback Cam Rising making a name for himself. I, I've never, like, this guy's not been on my radar at all. And his numbers were not as good as CJ Stroud's. Um, but I just didn't really know about Cam Rising going into this game. And he was poised. He was accurate. He made some big time throws. And Cam Rising caught me off guard because, I mean, I, I just, he's never been on my radar as a potential NFL quarterback before. And it's kind of cool to look at his Instagram. It really, he honestly gives me a lot of Gardner Minshew vibes, the way he's so casual and lighthearted and even the way he he's a great leader and watch him on the sideline he's this encouraging presence and again look at cam rising's instagram he's got this old pickup truck and i kind of want to call him like cowboy cam or you know he's from california the california cowboy something like that because he deserves that kind of a name he looks like gardner minch he's got that same vibe and feel this like kind of a legendary figure and i've got a list of quarterbacks i cannot wait to watch in college football next year you know cj stroud Keaton Slovis is probably my number one most anticipated quarterback. He's going to Pittsburgh. I love the guy. Uh, Bo Nix at Oregon, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart at USC, Bryce Young, of course, just won the Heisman Trophy. But Cam Rising is a guy that after the Rose Bowl, I am adding him to my list. He got my attention. He made a really big throw. I remember he, he made a, a, he threw a hitch route to the left side of the field where he stepped into pressure. He got nailed. And I don't know how he got anything behind the ball he made this beautiful accurate throw stepping into a hit which that's an NFL level thing to do and he also had this crazy play on fourth and one Utah's on their own 38 yard line with a seven point lead in the first half I don't know why they were going for it. it makes no sense to me but Cam Rising ran for what should have been a three yard gain Ohio State didn't wrap him up he kept his feet going and you know broke to the outside and ran for a 62 yard touchdown run on fourth and one Again, Utah going for it on their own 38-yard line, you know, coaching to win. And really, Cam Rising is a quarterback I have been waiting for years for Utah to have. Because if you're a longtime listener of Strong Opinion Sports, you know I've said this for a long time. There's a couple colleges around the country that have so much potential. I think of Wisconsin, Iowa, and Utah. They run the ball well. They play great defense. Maybe not in this game. Utah didn't, but there's reasons for that. Guys were hurt. But Utah, traditionally, very physical, well-coached. They run the ball really well. They play great defense. And if you're a quarterback, you love that because if your team runs the ball well and you play good defense, it makes your job easier. And I have said it for years. Utah has so much potential because of the way they run the ball, because of the physicality. All they need is an NFL-level quarterback, and I think that might be cam rising now we have to talk about the ohio state receiver as well jackson smith and jigba because (laughs) i don't even know how to properly like give this guy the praise he deserves because ohio state receivers chris alave and garrett wilson opted out of the rose bowl they're going to the nfl now the the third in their trio jackson smith and jigba 
is a sophomore. He's not actually eligible to go to the NFL after this year. So he played, and Utah had no answer. Utah, they had like a, a backup corner playing who was there because people were out. And anytime, anytime CJ Stroud saw Jackson Smith and Jigba in one-on-one coverage, and also even when they played zone coverage, he just would look at safety off, find it, Smith and Jigba. Jackson Smith and Jigba in this game had 15 catches for 347 yards and three touchdowns. It was an unbelievable performance. One of those rare games where you're like, I have just never seen that. It, it was him dominating from start to finish. And Utah simply could not guard him. It was crazy. He made big play after big play, great catches, run after the catch. He had one fumble on like the five yard line where like he could have had basically another touchdown. The ball didn't get knocked out of his hand. It's like, Dude, it's one of the most dominating, impressive performances I've seen in a long time. And I was actually afraid that, you know, Smith and Jigma was going to have this great game and then lose the game. And I'm glad that this incredible, incredible dominating performance came in a game where they also won. Because every once in a while you see a guy who, like, dominates and kills it and they lose the game. And that would have been such a shame for him to have this amazing performance and not win the Rose Bowl. So awesome for him. And uh, the final note I have on the Rose Bowl is that Utah has this longtime receiver, Britton Covey. He's a guy who I feel like he's been there for like 15 years at Utah. For years and years, he's been dominating and just making defenses look silly. He had two touchdowns in this game. He had a touchdown catch, and he also had a 97-yard kickoff return. And it wasn't the kind of kickoff return where he goes untouched. It was literally the kind of play where he was breaking tackles and making guys miss and... You know, Kirk Herbstreit made this offhand comment, like, oh, he's the kind of guy that's going to go to New England and get a, a job in camp. And, you know, Britton Covey is not a guy who – he might even go undrafted. Like, he's not a very highly touted player because he's 170 pounds and just there's not a lot of attention on him. But he reminds me a lot of – you know, he's an Edelman-type player where he's small and could, you know, work hard and make a – you know, their template is there for him in New England. But he actually really reminds me of – Hunter Renfro, the former Clemson receiver who, you know, he walked on at Clemson. Now he's a starter for the Raiders and makes play after play after play every week. And Hunter, you know, sorry, Britton Covey, excuse me, Britton Covey, the Utah receiver, is either going to be a fifth, sixth, seventh round receiver who's going to bring a lot of value to a team or, you know, a guy who's going to sign as an undrafted free agent somewhere. And Kirk Herbster throughout New England, I'm going to double down and piggyback on that. He's the kind of guy, if he goes to New England, that's a perfect fit for him. And he's a New England type of person. I've got friends who know him and speak really highly of him. And, uh, you know, Britton Covey, keep your eye on him in the NFL because he's the kind of guy who could pull a Julian Edelman, come out of nowhere. No one knows about him. And then you're like, where where does this guy come from? He's like, he's making catches on Sundays and doing a really good job. So Britton Covey's a name you should get to know. He's potentially a future NFL quarterback or NFL receiver who come out of nowhere and do very, very well. And all in all, man, the Rose Bowl was just, frankly, incredible. It was a great game, a great setting, this epic atmosphere, and just everything you could ask for in a football game the Rose Bowl gave us. And uh, this man, C.J. Stroud, Britton Covey, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Cam Rising, all this crazy stuff. Not to mention Cam Rising got hurt at the end of the game. And I mean, I don't even remember the guy's name. Bryson something, the backup quarterback, came in for Utah and scored a touchdown to tie the game at the end, like make it interesting. It was just like... So many things happened in this game, and uh, it was one of the best Rose Bowls I've ever seen. A lot of people are saying it's the best ever. I'm like, well, like, we've had a lot of great Rose Bowls. I don't know that I want to call it the best ever, but it's certainly – I think it's a lot of recency bias, but my gosh, man, what a great game and what a great time. Let's end this show with this. It's a So you can write in on Patreon. Go to patreon.com 
forward slash Zach Schaumler to write in on Patreon. If you write in there uh, for a dollar a month, you can submit questions on Patreon. So let's end the show today with a question from Patreon written in by David. So David wrote in on Patreon. He said, hey, Zach, what are your thoughts on college athletes opting out of bowl games? I saw what Desmond Howard said about it, and he said opted-out players have essentially, quote, lost their love for the game. And others have also said that players nowadays are just, quote, chasing the bag, too, instead of playing out the whole year. Then on the flip side, Matt Corral's current situation showed the exact reason why players do decide to opt out. I'm really curious what you think of all this, and I also really appreciate you opening up about your personal life. I have been learning quite a bit from you. Thanks. Thank you, David. Um... So in case you didn't watch it, during the, the Sugar Bowl, I believe, it was Ole Miss against Baylor. The Ole Miss quarterback, Mississippi quarterback, Matt Corral, a you know future potential first-round pick. Arguably, some people think he's the best quarterback in the entire NFL draft. I think Malik Willis is, but that's a debate for another day. Matt Corral had a really bad injury to his knee. And there are some like early reports that it might be just a knee sprain or an ankle sprain. It could be okay. I'm not really sure what it is. I actually waited. I was going to record about this on Saturday night after the game. And I'm like, if I wait to record about this, we might know what the injury is, you know, completely by then. We, I don't, as of right now, as of recording time, I don't know. It's early on Monday morning and I still don't know what the injury is. But um, here's my take on all this, man. First of all, it's totally okay to opt out of bowl games. Uh, nobody opts out of a playoff game. Like nobody, so quarterbacks especially don't want to opt out of a bowl game because they think it, it gives a bad look and they're not invested and like it's a bad leadership move or something like that. But bowl games don't matter. They're basically as meaningless as a NFL preseason game. You know, they they make the school a ton of money, but um, you know, watching Matt Corral get carted off is is in one sense horrible, but it's also actually kind of a blessing in disguise for players because now they always have an example they can point to and say we don't want to be Matt Corral potentially hurt our draft stock and hurt our career because we played in a meaningless bowl game and here's the thing a lot of people are saying they don't love the game no 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 skipping a game that isn't in your best interest doesn't mean you don't love football in fact you could argue it's because you want to play longer if you really want to get if you want to make you can frame the argument however you want here's what I would say most importantly where does your loyalty lie did you owe anything to your university? Or do you owe more to your future kids, your parents, yourself? Um, you know, who cares what a university? You're done. You're going to the NFL, man. Take care of yourself, of course. And because you skip a meaningless bowl game, I'll tell you what. Nobody I know in the NFL is losing an ounce of thought because you skip a bowl game. It's just silly to me. And we see these old hats kind of, it's an old mindset. I don't know what it is. Like protect, bowl games are bad anyway. Anything we can do to get rid of bowl games, I'm all in favor for. And if you're a player who is having a hard time, like, should I play? Should I not? I just encourage you, man, like you owe nothing to your your college team. And some people might play in the bowl game because it's an opportunity for them to get exposure and show the world what they can do. And that makes total sense. But if you're a first round pick, you get, you're locked and you're going to like some bowl game that isn't a college football playoff game, even the Rose Bowl, like opt out, who cares? If you're a first round pick, take care of yourself because you owe way more to your family, your kids and yourself than you do your, your university. And uh, 
I am all for players opting out of bowl games. They don't matter. I, I think they're going to go away in the next couple of years anyway. And uh, it's, it's so sad. They kept showing these clips of Matt Corral's face as he's just like on the sideline, devastated potentially with, it, it, I, I don't know what it is. I, I was like, is it a torn ACL? I don't know. It, it's just a horrible thought. And it looks like it might be, I'm hoping it's like a sprained ankle, but man, I have no problem at all with a player like Matt Corral, who's going to be a first round pick not playing in this bowl game. Kenny Pickett skipped the bowl game. <laughs> like, it's okay, man. Uh, you got to put yourself first. And if anything, the Matt Corral lesson is that, and it's something we can point to for years, don't be like Matt Corral, because if you're a first-round pick and you're locked as a first-round pick, don't risk your future and also hurting your, your, your entire football career for a meaningless game. And, you know, a player like, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, the Ohio State receiver, Put his name on the map. He was like, he made a dominating statement against Utah with 347 yards, 15 catches, three touchdowns. If you want to play in the Rose Bowl because you want to elevate your draft stock, absolutely. It's a great opportunity. But if you already have a secure position in the NFL draft and you don't need to elevate your stock anymore, what are you doing, man? Like, take care of your family, take care of yourself. And that's not, being responsible and taking care of yourself does not mean you don't love football. Uh, it's completely they're, they're separate issues and I don't know how you could possibly watch a guy Kenny Pickett the Pittsburgh quarterback didn't play in the bowl game you think Kenny Pickett doesn't love football like the, that take from Desmond Howard is, is so absurd and silly these guys work all the time constantly dude nobody nobody really Johnny Manziel maybe but nobody plays the way Kenny Pickett does or Matt Corral does with all this level of attention to detail and preparation and work ethic and leadership and doesn't love the game. Like, come on, get out of here. That's, that's absurd to me. And I just think it's people who are, are very removed from playing that, you know. Now, here, here's one thing. As a person who doesn't play anymore, um, I got a message from someone on Instagram. They wanted me to talk about this and a great call. The weird reality here is it actually might help Matt Corral. Instead of going to a bad football team early in the first round, he might actually fall in the draft and go to a better football team that's more equipped to win. So there might be a silver lining in it, which is that if his draft stock does get hurt, he can fall in the draft to a better football team. Kind of like, you know, I don't know, I don't know why Mac Jones fell in the draft because he's not as talented, I guess. But you go to a team like the Patriots, Denver, by the way, is sitting there ready to win. They, they hopefully get a new coach, and Matt Corral goes there in Denver. That could be fun. I'm just saying, like. If Matt Corral, you know, there's this, where did I see it? Unfortunately, I think it was actually, and I'm rambling now, but who's the guy? Dan Bilzerian. <laughs> I can't believe, I'm about to talk about this on the show. Dan Bilzerian was on Joe Rogan. I saw a clip of it on TikTok the other day. It actually was YouTube Shorts. Told the story about the Chinese farmer and how, you know, I'm going to butcher it. The Chinese farmer had his horse run away. And everyone in the village said, oh, that's, that's really bad. And he said, Maybe. And the horse came back to the farm with seven other wild horses. And so everyone said, oh, that's really good. You got a bunch of horses now. And the farmer said, maybe. And then the next day, the farmer's son took one of the wild horses out to ride and, you know, to break him in. And the son broke his leg. And everyone in the village said, oh, that's horrible. Your horse, you know, your, one of your new horses broke your son's leg. Well, the next day, someone from the military came and said, hey, you know, we're, we're drafting people in the military. And his son didn't have to go to the military because his leg was broken. He actually missed out on a potential opportunity to lose his life. And so 
the, the point of that story is that and I'm gonna it's exactly what Dan Brazilian said. I'm, I'm literally like stealing that entire segment from him. But he, he said, like, look, man, we never really know how things are gonna play out in life. Like, and, and how insane is it that I'm I'm taking a story from Dan Bilzerian? Like, I don't even like the guy. But point is that he is right though, that you never know what how something appears compared to what it actually could be. Like good stuff happens in our life every day, and you're not gonna know until you see it play out. And maybe Matt Corral getting hurt in the sugar bowl is the best thing that ever happened to him. Because he falls to a really good football team in the draft and becomes their franchise quarterback and wins a lot of games and has a great career. Like, so you have to be open to the possibility that when something, quote, bad happens, you can turn it into good. And there, there is a silver lining, and I think it could be that Matt Corral will fall farther in the draft. But let's be clear about one thing, David. It's totally fine for players to opt out of their bowl games, which I have no respect for, and uh, I don't really... I have no respect for the bowl games. I, I totally respect people. You know how much... By the way... It takes guts to say I'm not going to play. Like, you're going to get criticized and all this stuff. And it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, I called off my engagement recently. And I would argue that it takes a lot of guts to call off an engagement and this big obligation and this thing that everyone's excited about in your family. And people are buying dresses and stuff. And I, you know, I, I had to do what was right for me, even if a lot of people didn't understand and, and kind of bear the the weight of that and, and the 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 skepticism and criticism I'm, I'm, I'm going to get for that. And a college football player who doesn't play in their bowl game is going to hear it, and they're going to get criticized. But you got to do what's best for you. Who cares what other people think as long as you're doing what you know is best for yourself? And um, I think it would have been better for Matt Corral's future to not play in the bowl game. But again, let's go back to that story of the Chinese farmer. You know, uh, He didn't know that riding, you know, breaking his leg was actually a good thing. Losing your horse is a good thing because it brought you more horses, right? You never know when something that seems really bad ends up having a silver lining and being actually something really good for your future. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. And hope you have a great day. I will, will enjoy Monday Night Football. Have a great day. Bam, we are